The True Crime Society podcast contains adult themes and violence and is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the True Crime Society podcast with Stephanie and Olivia. It is Thursday, April 14th, and it was like record-breaking heat today in New York. It was over 80 degrees. It's so hot. I'm so sweaty right now because I can't have any fans or anything on, or and like I can't have my window open because people are loud. So I think I said this last summer too, like I'm suffering for you guys. (laughs) You really need to get an air conditioned studio. (laughs) I really just need to move. (laughs) I'm sick of it here. Yeah, crazy here. It's it's actually been really nice weather. I think I said last time how much rain we've had. The rain seems to have stopped for a little while. It's beautiful, kind of mild, cool, not stinkingly, disgustingly humid. So it's very pleasant at the moment here. Yeah, of course today I'm like, the hottest day so far, I decided to start doing like intense workouts again. So it was really hot because as we've established, my apartment doesn't have like air conditioning right now. And I did, and I know this sounds lame, but I did the Nintendo Switch boxing. And honestly, it's such a hard workout. I was so sweaty and I can't even like (laughs) lift my arms right now. So I took a shower after I like, couldn't even wash my hair because I was like, it hurts so bad. <laughs> that's, that's a good excuse to not wash your hair. <laughs> it was Ugh. terrible. But yeah, so how's your week been? Any big plans for Easter? So my week's been good. Kids have been on holidays. I'm now, they everything shuts down here for Easter basically. Like So today here is Friday, which we call Good Friday. Um, it's public holiday, so basically pretty much everything is shut or anything that is open is, you know, just the basic stuff. And then um, same with Monday. Monday is also a public holiday. So it's a very long weekend here for most people. Um, but today after we record, I'm actually heading away with my husband for two nights. We're going to see Crowded House, which Aussies and Kiwis will know who that is, <laughs> but at a vineyard tomorrow. So it's like an outdoor concert very civilized drink wine sit in chairs very you know very civilized hopefully so it won't be an an astral world situation is what you're saying (laughs) i hope not gosh i think people would break their hips at this age (laughs) but no hopefully very civilized the only thing is it's at a vineyard which means wine all day which sometimes isn't very outside in the sun yeah yeah exactly but should be good i'm looking forward to it nice Hmm. what about you what are you up to anything um, for Easter, I usually just go to my aunt's house with all my little cousins, even though I always call them my little cousins, but they're all like, te- yeah, anymore. they're like teens now. I mean, there's <laughs> one that's younger, but they're all older. And we had me and my sister, since we're the oldest, we'll do like a cousin Easter egg hunt. So me and my sister will go outside in the yard and we'll hide a bunch of eggs and then all the little cousins go find them, but they have like money and stuff in them and candy because we all have candy. <laughs> It's a good Easter. I'd like some money eggs. Yeah. <laughs> I know. It's We've never really done the Easter egg hunt. Like I know a lot of people do here, but as like my family, as a tradition, we've never really done that. We just usually get an Easter basket filled with eggs and 
you know, whatever else, pajamas sometimes and yep. things like that. When I was little, we would do the Easter egg hunts. And then as I got older, it was more just like the Easter basket and stuff. Like, And we would dye eggs. Do you dye eggs? Mm, no. Like I know some people do. Maybe I just had a really <laughs> basic Easter growing up. Um, no, but we generally don't do that. Yeah. I haven't done it forever, but we used to always dye eggs and stuff. But Easter's great because the candy, except I'm trying to be healthy. Er. Yeah. I- <laughs> I've tried really hard this week to be healthy and stick to my plan because I know that there's going to be a lot of chocolate this weekend. <laughs> I know. I I just was uh, – my cats are here, so I was saying to Olivia before we started recording, I was like, well, my cats aren't here and they're not situated, so expect them to come and be destructive <laughs> at any moment and they've arrived. Right on, right on schedule. No, they're late. <laughs> um, no, they're on time because they like to just fuck around. Um, so today, real time today, recording time, we put out our episode on the turbans. Hope you guys are finding it interesting. Seems like one of those cases where people, even if they know it already, like you just want to keep learning about it because it's just insane. I feel like, you know, I think we've spoken before about those cases that you keep coming back to and you can read about it and read about it and you learn something new every time. And that's definitely one of those cases, I think. Yeah. And I didn't specifically say it in the episode, but if you can watch the 2020 episode, you should check it out. I know a lot of it's on YouTube and the ABC website, so if you can get it, it's definitely worth listening because I didn't put a lot of clips of Jordan speaking as an adult in the podcast, but it's really interesting to hear her and her sister talk about it. The 2020 interview is also on YouTube. They've split it into five parts, so I've put all five parts on the blog too in order, so you can just go there and watch it if you want. But for some reason, I learned this when I was looking for clips, there's it goes up to part, like there's a part seven that's not on YouTube oh. because that was the one that I needed to get the um, body cam clips from. Remember, mm. I, I told you like it wasn't on YouTube for some reason, so I had to use this Chrome browser to rip the audio off ABC. Mm, I didn't know that. So I feel like some parts, they're like, it's only ours. And um, I've also seen some people commenting that there's a book on the case, if anyone really wants to learn more too. It's called The Family Next Door. It gets four and a half out of five on Amazon. So that's, you know, a pretty decent review. But a lot of people have recommended that book to us in the last few days as well. Yeah, that's the one I I mentioned a book in the podcast, but I couldn't remember the name off the top of my head. Family Next Door by John Glatt. All right. Well, there you go. You got a book review recommendation. And we got some show recommendations on our Instagram. We did a, not like a poll, but the thing where you could type answers on Instagram and we saved it in our highlights. So if you need some shows to watch, go follow us on Instagram if you don't already, but it's there. All right. So today we are going to talk about a case that, two cases really, but the first one we're going to talk about is one that just happened like last week. And a lot of you seemed very interested in it. The murder of Christian Obumseli and the perpetrator, his girlfriend, who's also seems like a pretty big influencer, Courtney Taylor. She has like 2 million followers on Instagram. She's a fitness OnlyFans girl. And just as a side note before we get into it, if you've seen Christian's name as Toby, he also goes by Toby sometimes. So just to clear up any confusion in advance, he is Christian, but he is also Toby. I think, yeah, I feel like his birth name is Christian, but maybe he generally goes by Toby. So we've just called him Christian in this just to save confusion, really. I think his Instagram handle is like Christian versus Toby or something, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. I'm sure I'll think of more background notes as we go, but we will start off with that one. 
tonight, there are many unanswered questions after a stabbing death in Miami. A man allegedly killed by his own girlfriend. So why hasn't she been charged? Local 10's Nella Sabovic live with details on this. Nella. The big question is here, was this done in self-defense? Miami police investigators say that this is an ongoing and very active investigation. Meantime, we spoke with a group of friends that knew this couple very well, and they detail a rocky relationship. It's just heartbreaking. Everyone is just so devastated. This trio was very close to 27-year-old Christian Obamselli and his girlfriend, who they've identified as 25-year-old Courtney Clenny, an OnlyFans model and Instagram influencer. So when police reported that Obamselli was fatally stabbed by Clenny on Sunday inside their Miami apartment, the friends were left speechless. They portray a very violent relationship at the hands of only one person. I've seen her hit him. I've never seen him hit her. Officers say there was a struggle before Obamselli was stabbed in the shoulder. He died at the hospital. Investigators are still trying to figure out what happened and if Clenny acted in self-defense. From what we've personally experienced between the both of them, we believe that like Christian wouldn't put her in a position where she would need to stab him to protect herself. So like I said, this happened a few days ago, last week really, on April 3rd, 2022 in Miami. And we'll start off as usual with some background on the people involved. We've got Courtney. She was born as Courtney Clenny, we think. That's what we've seen people say her real name is. And online, she goes by the name Courtney Taylor, T-A-I-L-O-R. Yeah, that's unusual for a last name. It's usually T-A-Y. I'm assuming it's just as like a, a stage name she made up. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So as of early April 2022, she is 25 years old. She was born in Midland, Texas on April 21st, 1996. There is a bio about her online that says by the time she was 13, she decided she wanted to get into the entertainment industry. So she ended up moving to Austin and did some work in movies in 2013 and 2014. So she progressed from that into fitness training and she created her Instagram account. Her handle is Courtney Taylor, her name. And right now, like I said, she has over 2 million followers. She's pretty sporty. She trained as a high-level pool diver and considered doing that competitively at one point. Um, she's also been known to participate in soccer, volleyball, gymnastics, and horseback riding. I want to know more about competitive pool diving. <laughs> it's very niche. Is that like off diving boards? Yeah, I think I would like think the so. Olympics? Like, you know, the really, really, yeah, the super high ones. That's what I would think. I'm so dumb. The first time I read it, I thought it was like scuba diving in pools. And I was like, oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, I would assume it's off diving boards. Yeah. Yeah, that clicked later. So Courtney has said that she was inspired by fitness model Ashley Kaltwasser, and she competed in many bikini athlete competitions. She's appeared in commercials for Pepsi, Sears Logic, Celebration Church, and Discount Dollars. And in October 2015, she appeared in the GEZ and BB Rexa music video, Me, Myself, and I. In late 2015, she did a photo shoot for Playboy magazine. And she did small roles in TV shows and movies like American Psycho, The Lion Game, Unstoppable, and Boyhood. Her most successful film role so far came out in 2016 in the Richard Linklater movie, Everybody Wants Some. I don't know what that movie is, do you? Neither do I. And in 2016, so there hasn't really been much since. I feel like she's moved away from acting now and she's just in the influencing world maybe. American Psycho is pretty 
big, but I don't know what she did. No. If she was just in the background or probably just an extra. <laughs> so she also has a YouTube channel, but that hasn't been updated for a few years. So it seems like Instagram is her main platform now. Along with OnlyFans, I guess. Yeah. I think OnlyFans is very new for her as well, like in the last year or so. So, um, yeah, mainly Instagram, I think. And a fun fact about Courtney is that she is afraid of sharks even when she's in a swimming pool. So it would be hard to be a competitive diver under those circumstances. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I didn't even think about that. <laughs> Courtney, she also has the OnlyFans account we mentioned. Um, her OnlyFans profile says, proud Texan, full-time fitness model, and foodie, living with my two dogs, Jesse and Ranger. I just moved to Miami, so I need your positive vibes. Scary big changes for this little Texas girl. Um, an OnlyFans post on April 2nd, 2022 read, talk dirty to me. And on April 1st, she wrote, I'm not always this nasty, dot, dot, dot. Wait, yes, I am. LOL. That's like the day and the day before, like, so the day, two days before and one day before this whole incident happened. So yeah. Two weeks before this incident, Courtney appeared on the We in Miami podcast where she spoke about her dating preferences. And she said, no, that's not true. I only date black guys. Let me clarify. I only date rich black guys. I'm Courtney Taylor, and I do OF for a living. Only fans. You got like a million followers or something? Two million. Damn. Yeah. You look like the type of girl that only dates like rich guys. Is that true? No, that's not true. I only date black guys. Especially black guys. Especially black guys. Let me clarify. I only date rich okay, black guys. Okay, rich black guys. There we go. <laughs> and you know, so you know you're toxic. Yeah. You can tell she likes black guys. <laughs> Like especially black guys for all you watching out. I'm with it. Do you like to be fully controlled or do no. you I like to be submissive? Pretty well, yeah, in the bedroom. Yes. But like in my life, I don't like anybody to tell me what to do. Yeah, so you only want them to tell you what yeah. to do in the bedroom. Other than that, you don't want them to tell you anything. Right. right. <laughs> that, that, that's exactly it. Yes. Mm. So that sounds like you're a control freak with your relationships. Be oh, careful with this one. She's going to okay. boss you around like, exactly. ah, just, sweet toxicity. So you only date rich black guys. So like, have you ever dated like any politicians or only like rappers or athletes or what kind of black, like rich black guys? No dope boys, no politicians. Just strictly uh, athletes? I mean, well, you know, dabble here, dabble there a yeah. little bit. Have you ever dated any celebrities? Um, Dated? Well, I mean, yes. What celebrities like, have you dated? Um, just like athletes, Jermichael Finley. But don't look him up. Don't look him up. Don't look him up because it's going to make me look really bad. How much do you make him off? <laughs> A lot. The man involved in this case is Christian Toby Obumseli. He was 27 years old when he passed away on April 3rd, a week before his 28th birthday. Christian was also born in Texas, we believe in the Plano area. Less is known about him. His social media says he is the owner of Wiseman and Peachtree LLC, and that he studied communication studies at Texas Tech University. Sorry, I tried to look up the company um, and I got someone else to try and have a look too to make sure I wasn't missing anything, but I can't find any information about what that company is or was or it's, um, I don't know if he had actually registered it or what was going on, but it doesn't seem to show up really anywhere. For high school, he went to Plano East Senior High School. He is much less prominent on social media. His Instagram handle is Christian versus Toby, and he has just over 7.5 thousand followers. Um, his bio says Dior 1 Corinthians 13 11. So we looked up that Bible verse and it says, 
When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. Goes way over my head. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like it's probably the first part. Um, just about the child and about yeah that yeah. part I got and then the second part lost mm. me. I think yeah I put I put it all in because but I think uh, uh, thirteen eleven is actually just up to the childish things part the rest is just kind of a little bit of an additional carry on so you believe Christian and Courtney met in Texas and moved to Florida together recently news of Christian's death first broke publicly on April sixth. This article from NBC Miami is similar to what all the other news agencies were saying at the time. A man had been stabbed, but the female involved had not been named. Um, So an excerpt from the article says, Police are investigating after a man was fatally stabbed at a Miami high-rise over the weekend in what officials are calling a domestic dispute. The incident happened Sunday night at the One Paraiso Luxury Building at 3131 Northeast 7th Avenue in Edgewater. Miami police officials said officers responded to a report of a man stabbed at the building and found the 27-year-old victim who was rushed to a local hospital where he was pronounced dead. Officials said a woman was detained at the scene and later taken for a mental health evaluation. Her identity wasn't released. Police haven't released the victim's name, but friends identified him as Christian Toby Obumseli. The friends say Obumseli lived in the building with his girlfriend. They said the two moved to South Florida from Texas in the past couple of years. Some of the couple's friends spoke to the media in the early days. I guess like in the early days when it was really also just last week. <laughs> yeah, the, the early, yeah, early days. <laughs> um, his friend Josh Ramsey said he was just really high energy, bright, intelligent, would bring a smile to anyone. These are our two friends we've gone on vacation with, we go to dinners with, we go out on the town with them, and it seems like it's straight out of a crime documentary. We would have never guessed it would have escalated to this point. I think I speak for our whole friend group. We're just very shocked, very distraught about this. Their mutual friends are still trying to process what went wrong. Even though that we really lost Christian only, it feels like we also lost Courtney at the same time because we didn't think that this is this is as far as it would have gone. Miami police spoke to the media and said there had been an altercation and that Christian had been stabbed in the shoulder once. The Miami police told the Miami Herald the preliminary investigation determined that both Mr. Obumseli and the female had been involved in a physical altercation. Police also said that the female called 911 to report the incident and was taken to a mental hospital after she threatened to kill herself. Even though police did not initially release the name of the female, it came out very quickly on social media. TMZ got a video that must have been taken from a neighboring apartment. We'll put it on the blog so you can see it if you haven't seen it already. But in the video, you can see Courtney wearing um, a bra and sweatpants, and she's, like, covered in blood. She is handcuffed and sitting on the ground, and her little dogs are running around. And you can see the police talking to her. Mm, Yeah, it seems like a lot of blood for one One stab. Yeah, like I know I've seen a lot of people commenting like, how can you die if someone stabs you in the shoulder? But I guess all you need to do is hit an artery and you could bleed out very quickly. But yeah, she is, it's not just like, oh, maybe that's blood. Like it looks like there's blood all over her. Yeah. Courtney did an Instagram live earlier that day and she was wearing the same clothes that can be seen in the video. Anyway, what I was saying was my nails, bruh. Bruh, what the fuck? Okay. Let me tell you a little story. So, 
my um uh, my one of my middle fingers is this one this one got like fully ripped off so this nail got fully ripped off it hurts it still hurts like when i tap it like this it still hurts so bad um but i found out about something called gel x so it's an acrylic nails that i've been getting since i was like 15 which is like what damaged my nails so i got gel x it's basically just like painting stuff on your nails and then just like painting like a glue on it it's basically like a press on nail but way more expensive but it's better for your nails so i've been doing that for like two months and my nail has been growing back thank goodness i thought i was i was literally looking up like nail transplants guys like for real looking up nail transplants because i was like if plastic surgery can like make bigger boobs and bigger butts they can damn sure give me a nail as soon as Courtney's name became public, so did the allegations of physical and domestic abuse by both parties. A woman named Ashley Vaughn, who knew both Christian and Courtney, said, We've seen her hit him. I've never seen him hit her. She said, From what we've personally experienced between the both of them, we believe that Christian wouldn't put her in a position where she would need to stab him to protect herself. A neighbor who had a clear view into the couple's apartment, though, said the complete opposite saying, I could not tell if it was open-handed or closed-handed, but he was swinging at her. I wonder if this is the same neighbor who filmed it. Yeah. I don't know. It definitely had to be the person who filmed it. (laughs) (laughs) One neighbor who tells me that he has a very clear view of the couple's apartment said a week before the stabbing, things were off and that Clenny was the one getting physically abused. I could not tell if it was open-handed or closed-handed but he was swinging at her. Police say in the past three months, they've responded to multiple disturbance calls at the couple's apartment. Police say in the past three months, they've responded to multiple disturbance calls at the couple's apartment. There are no cases for Courtney in the Miami-Dade court record archive. Christian's family argued that there was no way this murder would have happened in self-defense. His brother, Jeffrey Obumselli, said, There's many unanswered questions, and we just want justice for our brother. Keep us in your prayers. His cousin, Karen Egbuna, said, This is one of the youngest in the family. He is loved. He is kind. He is caring, soft-spoken. The idea of this, the idea that this is somehow warranted is unthinkable. Jeffrey, the brother, he said his brother had been a star athlete and captain of his high school football team and had a bright future. He said, my brother was so caring and inspiration to others. He was a friend to everyone. Very caring, very caring, funny, very bright. And he had big dreams. Courtney has hired an attorney named Frank Preto. He told the Herald that she acted in self-defense and that she was a domestic violence victim. He kind of made a statement and it said, as Courtney struggles with the pain of being a survivor of domestic violence and the aftermath of the events that evening, We ask that the community and Christian's family allow the police and the state to conduct their independent investigation of the events. He said, this is a tragedy for all involved, but it was not criminal conduct. Courtney was defending herself and the investigation will reveal exactly that. So Frank is loud. He's been talking a lot. He also spoke to TMZ and he told them that he believed Courtney was a victim of physical, emotional and mental abuse at the hands of Mr. Obumselli. And he also suggested that she may have also been a victim of human trafficking. He hasn't really elaborated on that, but I'm assuming maybe that has something to do with maybe her OnlyFans work or if there was something else going on that hasn't been made public. It's a, a bold statement to make. 
Yeah, especially with no backup. He said, At the time of the incident, Mr. Oboom Selly was committing a forcible felony. He had gained access to Courtney's apartment without permission on several occasions in the days leading up to this incident. The Miami Herald have now been reporting that Christian and Courtney broke up around a month before he died. Um, Courtney told her mother that she was scared to leave the apartment because Christian kept finding ways into the building and he would sleep in common areas. I feel like that would be very easy to prove. This is apparently a you know upscale luxury apartment building. I'm sure they have cameras. Um, mm-hmm. You would you would think that this is that claim would be easy enough to prove. Yeah. Um, the Miami Herald are also reporting that police were called to the apartment on April one, which was just two days before Christian died. Miami police officers noticed noticed bruises on Courtney's arms and legs, which we'll discuss a little bit further on later. But no arrests were made at that time. That same article says that Courtney um, allegedly stabbed Christian after he pushed her to the ground and he grabbed her neck. So on April 8, we learned that Courtney was definitely no longer being held under the Baker Act. She was seen at a hotel bar in Miami just five days after the murder. There's a video of her online. We'll put it on the um, blog and might be able to put a clip in here. But basically, she was videoed with her father at the Grand Beach Hotel in Miami on the Friday night. The person who's videoing it says, you should go. Yeah, you should go. I'll videotape her. Right now, she, yeah, you should go. Yeah, you should go. Because you just killed your boyfriend. Yeah, you did. Yeah, and yeah. Yeah, okay, cool. So you can see Courtney kind of looks a bit rattled. She gets up, walks away, and, you know, she can be seen leaving with her father. Um, The video went all across the internet. People were questioning how someone who is apparently so mentally unstable and suicidal can be seen out at a bar drinking so soon after an incident as serious as this one. I added um, the link over there to there's a subreddit called Public Freakout that someone posted the video in and there's tons of comments on it, like over a thousand comments. And um, if you want to read them, we'll link it in the blog. But I was like reading what other people have to say about things. Yeah, it's very interesting. And I haven't, you know, like I've seen a few comments where like, well, she was just getting a drink. She's too scared to go back to her apartment. So they're staying at the hotel. But the other side of the argument is that it's very um, not a great look. Yeah. So Courtney's attorney released a statement about the event. He said, it is unfortunate that a member of the public knowing absolutely nothing about the circumstances and events surrounding the death of Mr. Oboom Sully would take the opportunity to harass the Clenny family during a time when they are trying to be supportive of Courtney. Courtney was seated at a table in the hotel lobby area where there is also a bar. Courtney's father was standing there trying to order a drink to take outside so they could be in private on the beach. The main question about this case is basically why there have been no charges filed. And I've read that Florida's stand your ground law makes it more challenging to file charges or get convictions when people claim that the act was self-defense. The um, state attorney's office has released a statement and they said when the investigation is complete, the state attorney's office will review the police department's evidentiary presentation and take appropriate legal action in accordance with the law. So if you're not familiar with the Stand Your Ground law, it came into effect in Florida on October 1st, 2005. And the definition of it is a Stand Your Ground law, which is sometimes called a line in the sand or no duty to retreat law, provides that people may use deadly force when they reasonably reasonably believe it to be necessary to defend against deadly force, great bodily harm, kidnapping, rape, robbery or some other serious crimes. Under such a law, people have no duty to retreat before using deadly force in self-defense, so long as they are in a place where they are lawfully present. 
So I guess that kind of explains why nothing has actually happened legally yet. Um, yeah, like a lot of people, still. a lot of people have been screaming, like, "Why isn't she in jail? Like, she's just out free after murdering someone." But I mean, it makes sense as much as it can be annoying. But think of it as a different situation where, say, a girl or guy was being beat up by someone or being assaulted by someone and their life was in danger and then they stabbed the person the person died you wouldn't expect that victim to be put in jail until they figured it out yeah and i also think in this case there's obviously proof that things were going on before police had been called to the house multiple times um you don't know you know the extent that kind of there was legalities before this so it's not like this was out of the blue it very well could be self-defense obviously we don't know yet but it could be also might not be so I feel like there's grounds definitely to conduct a proper investigation into those claims. Mm -hmm. So there is a GoFundMe for Christian. At the time of recording, it's raised over $70,000, and this is the information from it. It says, on April 3rd, 2022, uh, 27-year-old Christian Toby Obumseli was murdered in Florida a week before his 28th birthday. It is unconscionable to make sense of our new reality that someone's selfish act ripped Christian away from this world. It is not enough to say we are shocked and hurting. We are utterly devastated. His murder leaves many unanswered questions and creates a void that can never be fixed or filled, not even with time. Christian was extremely compassionate with a desire always to uplift those around him. He did not deserve for his life to be cut short by a heinous act of violence. We will never forget his infectious smile that could light up any room or his caring spirit. He will forever be remembered by his grandmother, mother, father, brother, extended family and friends. And then it goes on to say that they're going to use the money to cover post-mortem transportation of the body, funeral arrangements, attorney fees, litigation, counselling and bills for the family. Christian's family have been relatively quiet as opposed to, you know, Courtney's attorney and the Courtney side of the camp. But on April 10, Jeffrey, who's Christian's brother, who we mentioned earlier, did post a statement on Instagram. Um, I'll read it because it's quite interesting and it does outline their thoughts on what happened. It says, as a family, we strongly disagree with the ignorant and repulsive tweets from my then high school age brother that have recently serviced. However, the tweets do not diminish our demand for a thorough investigation into Toby's murder or negate the necessity for justice. It's been a week since my brother was brutally and senselessly killed. Courtney Taylor Clenny's callous actions have not been met with an ounce of remorse. We've seen videos of Courtney kissing her dogs while covered in what we believe to be my brother's blood and casually getting drinks at a hotel bar days later while my brother lays in the morgue. The bottom line is inextricably clear. Courtney is being treated differently because of her privilege as a wealthy white woman. Within 24 hours following Toby's death, the detective on the case prematurely concluded that this was not a crime of violence. But the information provided is deficient and the lack of transparency strongly suggests foul play is involved. Courtney acknowledges that Toby did not have a weapon. She has no injuries to support her story of imminent danger. Additionally, Courtney still has yet to explain exactly what happened leading up to Toby's murder. We have every reason to believe that his death was the result of unwarranted and unprovoked violence. We want to see that justice is served. With family, you may not agree with every action or statement made, but it is my duty to zealously fight for my brother. No family should have to go through what we are experiencing. We have a long legal battle ahead of us to ensure justice is served. I need your support. My family needs your support. We cannot do this without our community. God bless you all, Jeffrey Oboom Selly. In that statement, Jeffrey does refer to some tweets that Christian wrote. 
Um, the tweets are racist. They're all online. Um, so they were made a long time ago, around 2012. Like there's one person who's commented on them and it says, a Nigerian man named Christian Obimseli spent years dissing foundational black Americans on social media. He really showed a disdain for black women and expressed his love and desire for white women. So I'll put the text, uh, the tweets on the blog, but like one says, full of ignorant black woman. He's made another tweet saying, the way black girls disgrace themselves on TV Another one says, once again, I'm tired of these black girls in my government class. Another one, I can teach a white girl a little about the African culture. I want a white girl. When the beautiful white girls wear yoga tights, white girls wearing white booty shorts everywhere, now that's what I like. So that's kind of the tone of the texts, uh, the, sorry, the tweets that he made. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't get how it's even relevant to the investigation. I think just people trying to make him look like a piece of shit yeah i feel like right now everything's very because there's not a lot of actual facts out like the police know about the prior incidents and the incident reports whereas like people like us don't really know all the details so it's very like his family and friends versus her family and friends and with the information we have you can make either one of them the victim by just kind of swaying the narrative because there's not enough facts out yet. So I feel like these tweets, obviously, they were wrong to tweet in the first place, but I feel like someone dug them up trying to further prove like, oh, look, he he has these bad opinions. He definitely must be an abuser, which obviously isn't the case. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I've, yeah, I feel like the tweets seem to be a large part of this case but they're not really related to what happened to him. Um, no. Yeah, I agree. But we just wanted to talk about it because we didn't want to, you know, ignore the elephant in the room. The tweets are out there. You can look at them if you want and, I guess, make your own decisions and conclusions about that area of the case. Yeah. So that's basically it up to date as of April 14 for the case of Courtney and Christian. Obviously, things will keep happening. If anything big does happen, we'll do an update. But I feel like this, as his brother said, will probably be a long, drawn-out process. So we did get a message, or a lot of messages actually, from one of our Instagram followers who's been really following this case. She sent us a lot of photos that Courtney had posted of the bruises. Um, Some of them are a little bit almost graphic. She's wearing a very short dress or skirt. so I might see if I can put some of them that aren't too graphic on the blog, but her legs are all bruised up. It looks like it's not just one or two bruises off the top of my head. I could probably count 15. One definitely like looks her like legs. fingers, like a handprint. Yeah. So she, and I know that the police have said that she definitely was bruised when they went there on April 1. And these messages are from someone who knew Courtney and knew kind of the gang or the group that she associated with and there's rumors going around that Courtney did have an alcohol problem um it says that she's also been known to be kind of violent in the past she apparently used to punch her ex-boyfriend all the time and once she hit Toby so hard in the ear that he lost his hearing but they weren't sure for how long and then apparently also that when she was at the bar with her father and the video was taken of her she says he was trying to kill me with situations like this it's kind of hard to tell who is the instigator when there's just like such a toxic domestic abusive relationship a good example of that would be like gabby and brian like when they got into that fight where the police were called before she was murdered outsiders saw gabby hitting brian where as in reality in the big picture gabby was the victim but people saw Gabby hitting Brian because Brian had riled her up and, you know, nobody saw Brian hitting Gabby. So it's kind of 
in situations like this, it's hard to tell. And especially when there's only one party now to tell the story. Mm-hmm. You know, his family may not have known the extent of whatever, you know, the toxicity that was going on. It's just hard to know. I feel like the truth is probably somewhere in the middle. Yeah, that'd be my guess too. There's another message that we had from someone who knew them both and said basically that this person had been out with Toby and when they got home back to the apartment, there was glass shattered all over the apartment. Everything was broken and the dogs were just standing in the corner scared. Um, I've also had another message from someone who I think went to school with Toby and they said that they could never believe that he would be violent towards women um or you know that he would have been kind of the aggressor in this situation mm-hmm. um there's also photos that courtney has posted on her only fans there's one of her making a peace sign it looks like she's got stitches in her hand um i'm not entirely sure what happened but basically it was an injury that was bad enough to get stitches maybe it looks like a glass or a knife injury mm. i'm just trying to see what else there is and obviously you know like these are just comments and messages that we have received that we're sharing with you guys but we have no way to know if they're legit it just seems like there's equally as much good and bad for each side if that makes sense yeah like i was saying before right now it's easy for people to spin the narrative either way so there is another only fans I don't know what the word is, a content producer called Jenna Lee. She has 200,000 followers on Twitter. Her handle is at the Jenna Lee, and she's been making a lot of tweets about this. Um, she, one of the tweets that she wrote is, I'm concerned nobody is mentioning his girlfriend, Courtney Taylor, is the one who did it. She gets violent when she's angry and high on drugs. I'm concerned she got out of jail on bail, which isn't actually true because she was never jailed. Mm-hmm. Um And then she's written other things like she's not mentally ill, no history of it. She chose drugs. Justice will get her. And she said that Jenna Lee has said that she knew Courtney for five years and that she used to travel a lot with her and Christian. Mm. It'll be interesting to see what happens because I feel like it's one of those situations where it's hard to prove because it's almost like he said, she said. But I know police have been there a few times. So obviously with the information from those incident reports, that might help. Or maybe, like you said, the CCTV from the apartment, if that shows anything. But definitely a lot of blurred lines. Yeah, it'll be – I feel like a lot of it should be easy enough to prove, especially – and Courtney has documented a lot of it herself on her social media, some injuries, some bruises. So um, it'll be, yeah, definitely interesting to see what comes of this. But even if they end up thinking she did murder him, I wonder – or if that it wasn't like stand your ground circumstances or whatever. It's like situations like this always just make me think about if it goes to trial, can they prove it beyond a reasonable doubt? I don't know. We might be in for a long wait, though, to see what happens. Yeah, I think so, too. So since we've been recording, there has actually been a new article published one hour ago. Um, I'll put it on the blog. It's from Fox. It, basically, the attorney for Christian's family is a man named Larry Hanfield, and he spoke to Fox. He said, we believe that her statements are self-serving in an effort to avoid any accountability for using deadly force when no deadly force had been used against her. Although the family is still mourning the untimely death of Mr. Oboom Selly, we believe that once a full investigation is done, Miss Clenny will hold, be held to account for taking the life of Mr. Oboom Selly. And then there's also a quote in this article from Frank Preto, who's Courtney's attorney, and he said, Courtney was not arrested because it is clear that she was defending herself and was the victim of domestic violence. As a former prosecutor with the Miami State Attorney's Office, the fact that she has not been arrested or charged is indicative that the investigation has concluded she acted in self-defense. 
that is where that is at for now. We'll have to get back if anything else happens. Yeah, and we'll definitely post any updates on our Instagram and other platforms as well. So be sure to check there. The second case we're going to discuss is an older one. And it was actually suggested to us by an Instagram follower, Jalen Conroy. So thank you for that. Um, If you guys ever have any ideas, message us. Even if you think we don't see them, we do see them. And sometimes we need ideas. (laughs) Okay. So it is the murder of Phil Hartman by his wife, Bryn, in Los Angeles in 1998. We begin with a murder investigation that has stunned the entertainment world. Phil Hartman, who gained fame on Saturday Night Live, was found shot dead in his home, apparently killed by his wife, who then committed suicide. ABC's Carla Wool has more from Los Angeles. At 6.20 this morning, residents of this upscale Encino neighborhood called police to report gunshots coming from the Hartman's gated estate. Officers arrived to find a 9-year-old boy and a 6-year-old girl by the front door, both obviously upset. As they were taking the children out of the house, officers heard a gunshot in the master bedroom. There they discovered comedian Phil Hartman dead. Authorities say it appears his wife Bryn shot him, then turned the gun on herself. Phil was 49 when he died. He was a successful actor, comedian, screenwriter, and graphic designer. You may recognize his voice as he voiced the Simpsons characters Troy McClure and Lionel Hutz. He had a very distinctive voice. Yeah. He'd been on Saturday Night Live for eight years, and he won an Emmy for his work on SNL. He often played supporting roles rather than the lead part. He said, throughout my career, I've never been a huge star, but I've made steady progress, and that's the way I like it. He said, it's fun coming in as the second or third lead. If the movie or TV show bombs, you aren't to blame, which is true. (laughs) Um, He'd been in movies including House Guests, Sergeant Bilko, Jingle All the Way, and Small Soldiers. Phil he seemed like a nice guy. He'd been described as a regular guy and, by all accounts, one of the one of show business's most low-key, decent people. Phil had been married a few times in his life. He married a woman named Gretchen Lewis in 1970. He would have been around 22 at this time. And they divorced in September 1972. He then married real estate agent Lisa Strain in 1982, and their marriage lasted three years. Lisa told People Magazine that Phil was reclusive off screen and would disappear emotionally he'd be in his own world that passivity made you crazy lisa has said that she and phil divorced in 1985 because quote we were both unable to do the work necessary to make a good thing better but they remained friends she said he was a quiet gentle man a sensitive and gentle person um, in 1986, Phil met his wife, Bryn Omdahl. We've read some articles that say they met on a blind date and others say they met on a photo shoot where Bryn was working as a model. They got married in 1987. Bryn was born Vicky Jo Omdahl on April 11th, 1958, and she's around 10 years younger than Phil. The couple had two children together, Sean and Bergen. Sean was born in 1988 or 1989. We've seen it reported both ways. And Bergen was born February 1992. The Hartman marriage was tumultuous. It has been said that Bryn was intimidated by Phil's success. She had also tried to make it as an actor and had failed to really ever accomplish that. She had small parts in North and Third Rock from the Sun, though. She was reported to have been jealous and often verbally and or physically abusive, even sending a letter to his ex-wife threatening to, quote, rip her eyes out if she spoke to him again. 
This letter was sent after Lisa sent a card to Phil and Bryn congratulating them on the birth of Sean. So it seems pretty aggressive when someone's <laughs> congratulating you on the birth of your child with their ex to say you're going to rip their eyes out. It is kind of weird for an ex to send a card, though. But, you know, I like I'm not, I obviously think, yeah, wow, the ripping the eyes out is hard. <laughs> but the whole situation is a bit weird. <laughs> Lisa contacted Phil after she received the letter to let him know of the contents. He said he was partly to blame because Bryn had asked him once if Lisa was his soulmate, and he said yes. So, all right, understandable. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Seems like it's, yeah, a little bit toxic, maybe. Yeah. Over the years, Phil worked to get Bryn acting roles, and he even considered retiring to save the marriage. Bryn became increasingly reliant on drugs and alcohol, and she went to rehab several times during the course of their marriage. Bryn was also jealous of the working relationship that Phil had with SNL associate Jan Hooks. Letters that Bryn has written and never sent to Jan would eventually be discovered. In her writing, she warned Jan to stay away from her husband. Never put things in writing, guys. Come on. <laughs> the last day of the lives of Phil and Bryn was May 28, 1998. The night before, on May 27th, Bryn went to Buca de Beppo restaurant in Encino, California, with producer and writer Christine Zander, who said Bryn was in a good frame of mind, and they had drinks. But when Bryn arrived home, she argued with Phil, and it was said to be a heated argument. Some articles state that the couple argued about Bryn's alcohol use. She had apparently hit her daughter once while she was intoxicated. Phil is alleged to have told her that he would take the children and leave if she used drugs again. So after the argument, Phil went to bed, but sometime before 3 a.m. on May 28th, Bryn entered the bedroom where Phil was sleeping, and she fatally shot him once between the eyes, once in the throat, and once in the upper chest with a Charter Arms .38 caliber handgun. Bryn had snorted cocaine before the murder, and she'd also been drinking alcohol, and she was taking Zoloft, which has to be a rough mix of things. Yeah, bad combination. So we're going to finish off the Hartman story now. Bryn left the property and drove to the home of her friend, Ron Douglas. She told him about the murder and he didn't believe her. Like, what would you do at 3 a.m. in the morning if someone rocked up to your house and was like, hey, I've just shot my husband? You'd be like, I think I'd what? believe them if they show up at 3 in the morning. <laughs> he apparently did find a revolver in her purse. He took the gun from her and put it into a plastic bag. They then drove back to the Hartman home in separate cars. While Bryn was driving back home, she did call another friend to tell them about the murder. So she was not keeping this quiet she was telling everyone hmm. when ron arrived and he saw phil's body he called 911 at 6 20 a.m the dispatcher asked ron where phil had been shot and he said i think around the head and neck i just got here Bryn had locked herself in the master bedroom of the home um, while he made the call which was where phil's body was when police arrived Ron helped Sean out of the house. Sean was nine at the time this all happened, and a police officer carried Bergen, who was six, to safety. As they were leaving the property, they heard a single gunshot wound. Bryn was dead from a self-inflicted gunshot to the head. Um, Lieutenant Anthony Alba, who's from the LAPD, said, We know for sure Bryn Hartman inflicted her own gunshot wound, and she apparently shot herself as officers were in the house. Mr. Hartman had been dead for a while. He did not die at the same time that Mrs. Hartman apparently killed herself. Mr. Hartman had been dead for a while. He did not die um, at the same time that uh, Mrs. Hartman apparently killed herself. Distraught neighbors and friends of the couple say they had marital problems. One woman said she had feared that this would happen. We don't have any information concerning that topic at this time. We're continuing. Robbie Homicide will conduct a very thorough investigation. They will talk to the neighbors. They will talk to all witnesses and try and, and find that out. 
So I have read that Bryn was found laying dead in the bed next to Phil. The autopsy reports for Phil and Bryn are online. I'll pop them up on the blog. Phil's autopsy is 22 pages long. There is, there's some interesting information in there. There's some information about the kind of events leading up to the death and after the death. Um, I'll read just a paragraph from it because it's quite interesting. Police were told by the family friend, which was Ron that we mentioned, that Mrs. Hartman arrived at his house between 2 and 3 a.m., distraught and intoxicated. She told the man, I shot Phil. She presented the friend with a Smith & Wesson revolver, which the friend placed in a plastic grocery bag. She stayed at his house for another three or so hours, so (laughs) they didn't even act on it for over three hours. Um, They said he found Mr. Hartman unresponsive. He called 911, and then it talks about... Um, a diversionary tactic was attempted whereas where an officer outside the bedroom window broke a window to divert her attention. Nonetheless, police heard a single gunshot from within the bedroom and discovered Mrs. Hartman unresponsive on the bed when they entered. Responding officers removed a revolver from Mrs. Hartman's right hand. So I definitely recommend checking out the autopsy report if you are into details like that. Uh-huh. Um, When they conducted an autopsy on Bryn, it showed that she had an alcohol level of 0.12, along with traces of cocaine and Zoloft in her blood. The alcohol level was well above the 0.08 legal driving limit in California. County coroner investigator Craig Harvey said, between the cocaine and the alcohol, the two of them most definitely intensified the other's effects. The Zoloft is kind of a wild card. He also spoke about the usage of cocaine and kind of how recent it was in terms of this scenario. He said it was it would appear that the cocaine was approximately five or so hours prior to death, a fairly recent ingestion. So that would probably line up with when she was at dinner mm-hmm. or at the restaurant. Phil had been taking an over-the-counter cold medicine, but no prescription or illegal drugs were found in his body. The Hartmans left an estate worth $1.23 million to their children and the children were set to be raised by Bryn's sister Catherine Wright and her husband Mike. They were like the children's legal guardians. They lived in Wisconsin Um, and the wills specified that the Hartman children would each get a third of their inheritance when they reach 25 or when they receive a bachelor's degree from a university. They would then get half the remaining money when they turned 30 and the remainder when they turned 35. And they, in the wills, they also specified that they wanted to be cremated. Phil asked that his ashes would be scattered over Santa Catalina Island's Emerald Bay, Emerald Bay but Bryn didn't specify what she wanted done with her ashes. So after the murder-suicide, friends of the couple show, spoke about it and a lot of them were very shocked and had you know no idea that this would have could ever have happened. Actor Steve Gutenberg told CNN he saw no signs of marital trouble and he said that they were a very happy couple and they always had the appearance of being well-balanced. One of their neighbours, Susan Kaplow, said that Bryn seemed happy in the days before her suicide. She said, she left me a really happy message yesterday. Everything was fine. We leave each other silly messages all the time. Steve Martin also said that Phil's death was a great tragedy and said that he was, quote, a deeply funny and very happy person. However, the police did say that the murder-suicide was caused by domestic discord between the couple. A friend said that Bryn had trouble controlling her anger and she got attention by losing her temper. So in the aftermath of all this, a wrongful death lawsuit was filed in 1999 by Bryn's brother Gregory against Pfizer, who was the manufacturer of Zoloft and also against her child, her child's psychiatrist, Arthur Sorosky, who had given samples of Zoloft to Bryn. The case alleged that Zoloft actually drove her to insanity and that this insanity caused her to shoot her husband and herself to death. 
Pfizer settled the case in an out-of-court private agreement. So we don't actually really know um, what the settlement was, but they did seem to accept some type of liability for it. Mm. So Phil's friend and former Saturday Night Live colleague John Lovitz also accused actor Andy Dick of reintroducing Bryn to cocaine, which he says caused her to relapse and suffer a nervous breakdown. They've had a few kind of public spats over the years about this. Andy claims that he knew nothing about Bryn's addiction issues. Um, in 2006, John claimed Andy approached him at a restaurant and said, I put the Phil Hartman hex on you. You're the next one to die. And then John had him ejected from the restaurant. So as I said, make sure you check out the blog. I'll put the autopsies on there. There's a lot of information about this. It's kind of a very high-profile Hollywood case. So that is it for the two cases that we've discussed today. Um, the term for a wife or, a, you know, a female killing her partner is matricide. It's also used as the general neutral term for killing one's own spouse or significant other of either sex. If a man kills his wife or partner, it's called Oh, we've had this issue before. Oxericide. Yeah. Oxericide. That's my best guess. <laughs> it's spelled U-X-O-R-I-C-I-D-E. Yeah. Um, so I did just find a few little interesting stats that I wanted to share. According to Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, matricide made up 30% of the total spouse murders in the USA. Um, and then the FBI data, which I found this very interesting, from mid-70s to mid-80s, found that for every 100 husbands who killed their wives in the US, about 75 women killed their husbands, indicating a three to four ratio of matricide to uroxicide, mm. which I, I never would have imagined that many women would have killed their partners. But according to them, that's how it was. Yeah, I would have thought it had been lower too. Mm. So again, this might be another kind of themed episode that we could do somewhat regularly. I did ask on Instagram if anyone had any suggestions for any similar cases, and we did get the Phil Hartman suggestion from Instagram. Um, two others that were very notable mentions were the murder of Ryan Poston by Shana Hubers, which I think is a very well-known one, as well as the Jodie Arias and Travis Alexander case. Mm-hmm. Just one other notable update that did happen this week was on April 12, we got an update on Sherry Papini. We did an episode on her a few weeks ago about her faked kidnapping. Um, so check that out if you haven't already. But basically her defense attorney, William Portanova, has said that Sherry is now pleading guilty to charges of lying to a federal office and mail fraud. Sherry released a statement through her attorney and it said, I'm deeply ashamed of myself for my behavior and so very sorry for the pain I've caused my family, my friends, all the good people who needlessly suffered because of my story and those who worked so hard to try to help me. I will work the rest of my life to make amends for what I have done. (laughs) So there was a plea deal. We don't actually know any details about that. If Sherry will have to pay any restitution or do any jail time, none of that has come out yet, but hopefully soon we will learn a little bit more and we'll update you when we do here. All right. Well, I guess that's it for this episode. <laughs> that's it. I I can never tell. Sometimes I think, oh, this one's not going to be long enough, but this one, yeah, seems to have been. All right. Well, that's it for this episode. Um. Follow us on Instagram if you haven't already. Wait, no. We have to start with the blog. (laughs) (laughs) Everything that we talked about in this episode will be on the blog at truecrimesocietyblog.com. So if you want to see any of the pictures, videos, if you just want to read more about the cases, you can- Autopsy reports. Mm -hmm, Autopsy reports. You just head over there and everything will be linked there. Follow us on Instagram. That's where we post a lot of the updates fastest and we're kind of the most active on there these days. 
Um, and, you know, like Olivia gets su- suggestions from people on there. We do polls. We ask people questions. And it's all stuff that we sometimes use for the podcast. So if you want to be featured in an episode, great place to start. <laughs> um, <laughs> you can also follow our personal accounts. They are both linked in the True Crime Society bio. Mine is Steph Sum underscore and Olivia's is TCS Olivia. Uh, you can follow us there. If you haven't reviewed or rated the podcast yet, you can leave a review on Apple. You can do like a star rating on Spotify. If you could please do those. It helps us out a lot. And another thing that helps us out a lot is if you actually subscribe to the podcast. So if you're listening all the time anyways, you might as well subscribe. It'll download the episode or alert you of the episode automatically depending what platform you're on also another big help to us is if any of our sponsors in this episode seemed interesting to you something that you want to check out definitely check them out and use our codes it's a big help to us when you do that and it's a pretty easy way to support the show if it's something that you'd be into if it's something that you'd be into checking out anyways make sure you share too with us if you do purchase anything from them because we'd love to have a look and see what you've been up to yeah and all the links and codes and everything i know it's hard to remember when you're listening to the podcast and then you want to go back later this happens to me sometimes but it's all in like the episode description all the links will be there and then sometimes i post them on instagram and make like a little sponsor codes highlight um, and another thing that's a big help to us is if you just share the episode on Instagram, like we always say, share it on Facebook, whatever platform you use, tell a friend about it, tell a random person about it. Big help to us if you guys share the podcast. <laughs> um, I think that's it, though. That's everything I normally say. That's it. All right. Well, we will be back next week with another episode about something true crime related. Um, thank you guys for listening, and we will chat with you next time. Bye. See ya. Bye.